Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield, John Von Tobel, and our Finley Toyota Studios. It's Ari. Before we get to the Big Four at four, we do it every day now at four o'clock. Big Four at four. We were just talking Mountain West Conference football, which, by the way, we're going to talk to Nevada Sports Nets Alex Margulies in about twenty minutes to preview the Nevada game tomorrow night against Air Force. Also, get his take and look around the Mountain West and what's happening so far. You were just mentioning numbers, John, from Pro Football Focus, great analytics site, and they look at all the college players too. And we were talking about Logan Bonner last hour and Utah State and that Bonner's not 100% and he's been struggling. And then you threw this one at me, that he's, by the numbers, the number two quarterback in the Mountain West Conference. How is that? By, by PFF standards, he's the, he's the second highest graded passer. And when I say that too, because you mentioned we were talking about this off the air, that there's really a lot of subpar quarterback play in the Mountain West, and maybe that, like, you know, pushes him up no he's got a high grade his grade is an 84.4 it's right behind Brumfield by just a couple of like well 1.1 points so it speaks to when you're looking at that on their grading scale and look, I don't know their grading scale so I don't know what the difference is like 1.1 could be a mountain to climb right uh, but at the same time it seems pretty close and it, not really looking deep into the numbers the one thing you can look to is they grade their receivers extremely poor so for example Brian oh, wow. Cobbs is their best receiver right now. His receiving grade is a 70.1. Their second highest graded receiver, Justin McGriff, is a 60.6. And it gets worse from there. So just looking at it on I mean, the that's, surface. That's, that's the way real football works. Sometimes you, you can be a good quarterback and you know, your guys at receiver just aren't that good or letting you down. And what did Scotty say when I, when I brought up the offense? What was one of the things you brought up? Receivers not being able to get off the line of scrimmage. Like he, that was one of the first things he went to. So somebody who's close to the program says one of the first observations he makes about the offense is the wide receivers, the lack of ability to get open, lack of ability to get off the line of scrimmage. And you look at some of the PFF numbers, and it's saying quarterback's playing really well. Your receivers just got to play better. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. So on this show, we talk about everything in and around sports. And one of the things we really like is talking about media and sports radio shows. And there was something that was emerging, I think, a year ago, maybe nine months ago, where it looked like a lot of the big players in the sports gambling realm, like information sites like an Action Network or a lot of the different sports books, whether it's DraftKings or the, you know, your boss uh, with VSIN, John, and John Von Tobel's here from VSIN, um, it looked like they were going to start scooping up a lot of the insiders around the sports world. Brett McMurphy, you know, pretty good college football guy, went to work for Action Network. Then there were rumors like, oh, Adam Schefter might get, you know, zillions of dollars. And then what's he going to do if some sports book wants him? He might leave ESPN. That actually hasn't happened. No, not at all. And actually, it was funny because I was clicking around finding stories, and the big lead is a site I like, and it's got a lot of media stuff, and Kyle Costa wrote a piece on it. it was just, And his headline, the insider to sportsbook buzz, has really fizzled. And it's kind of based on the news. I don't know if you saw this, but Sham Sharanya is staying with Stadium and, and Bally's, so he's not Shams going to. is a big NBA guy. Right. Like, and, I, is he number one or two with Woj? Which I mean, one? They're 1A and 1B, and you can okay. you can quibble about who's one A and B, right? They're, they're both really good. And, it's not a fight. Uh, right. <laughs> very intense stuff. Uh, well, it is. Like, it's a very big thing on Twitter with <laughs> those two breaks news, yeah. right? Um, but but it is because, like, Brett McMurphy, I think, is a really good reporter, and he's really good at his job, and Brett and I know each other personally. We, we get along. We follow each other on Twitter. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. Um, <laughs> 
but but he's also like he's an insider, but it's not to the level I would say. And this is no like you know nothing against him of like Shams and Schefter because one the sample size is much smaller, right? So there's 30 teams in the NBA, there's 32 teams in the NFL. So those guys, their news is impactful. And the betting lines, like having somebody on your side, if you're a sportsbook person, and having that person at your beck and call, it creates a fascinating dynamic where if Shams gets news, is his job to break it? Or is his job tell the corporate overlords at BetMGM, for example, first so that we can adjust the lines and then get the news out there? But it looks like that's not going to happen. I would say it's not never going to happen. I'm sure at some point it'll probably start to shift in that direction. But it does create this fascinating dynamic as us as consumers, not only as sports bettors, one, are you going to take that news at face value? Like, what's the motivation behind it? And will they deliver it first to them or will they serve their purpose as journalists and get it out to the people? Number three. Number three. Thanks, Leon. Uh, One of the big stories today from the NBA is Ime Odoka, the Celtics coach, is facing a year-long suspension from the organization in what is being called an inappropriate consensual relationship. This is weird. We don't have all the facts yet. We don't know what's going on, if it was with a subordinate, if he was warned five times and the woman was warned a bunch of times. So don't know all the details. From a sports standpoint, listen, the Celtics are one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. How much is a coach like Udoka worth to betters and books? So for one shop, and it's our buddy Jeff Sherman over at the uh, Westgate Superbook out here in Las Vegas, um, he made some adjustments. Celtics go from 16-1 to 1 to 13-2. to 2. That's about like, uh, I think, uh, what are we talking about? I'm not going to go to math, plus 650. Uh, Nets, and there's other, and keep in mind, this is the other interesting part about this, and there's news around this, but still, when you make adjustments to teams, there's a trickle-down effect, so other teams get affected. But Celtics go from 6-1 to 13-2, to to it's a plus 650. Nets go from 10-1 to 8-1, to and the Celtics' win total gets cut by two wins from 54.5 to 52.5. What I think is really interesting about this, Steve, is Ime Udoka deserves a ton of credit for the turnaround the Celtics underwent last season. For those who don't know, what Udoka did was he took Robert Williams and changed his defensive responsibilities, made him more of a help defender, put him on the worst offensive option, and said, all you got to do is crash the glass every time somebody comes in, try to block shots, do whatever. It changed everything for them defensively. Horford was more of their traditional center on defense. But they were one of the worst teams in clutch play last year, which is a game within five points, five minutes or fewer to go. And they were one of the worst teams in points out of timeouts, right, on initial possessions out of timeouts. So, in other words, he wasn't, like, the most impactful coach ever. So do you really make this adjustment by two wins? Whatever it is, do you adjust your power ratings in any way, way, shape, or form, especially if some of the rumors are Brad Stevens might come down and take over head coaching job for the season. They might go and get a guy like a Frank Vogel potentially to go and fill in the role, if that's actually going to be true. I'm not sure you make any adjustment. But it's going to be pretty fascinating to see if other books follow suit because the Superbook's the one that I've seen make the real adjustments. Number two. So the Suns are being sold. Robert Sarver has removed or is attempting to remove himself from a terrible situation, although it doesn't sound very remorseful and is now pointing fingers at others saying, hey, what happened to our forgiving society? I'm a religious guy. All right, bro. You keep going with that one. Local Clark County Commissioner Tick Seegerbloom tweeted out today hey mark davis are you listening can you say las vegas suns sarver seeking buyers how about basically bringing the suns to las vegas this has zero beyond zero chance of happening like none at all 
the Suns will not be playing in Nevada. That doesn't mean the NBA won't right. have a team in Nevada, but it won't be the Suns. It won't be. They want if, if if the NBA is coming to Las Vegas, it's expansion. It's it's not bringing a team over. Seattle and Vegas, the new owners of an expansion team, the groups may have to pony up two billion dollars. Not all the owners, two billion dollars a piece, but as an organization, each one of these new spots will be two billion dollars plus right. in expansion. Right. The NBA is not giving up four billion dollars or two bill to move a team. And Phoenix is actually a pretty good market and one that has a ton of upside. And I've seen a lot of people say it's also super attractive for players as a free agent destination. Yeah, I look. I mean, it's also a relatively solid fan base too. I mean, look at what has happened. Those are some real home court advantages for Phoenix when they go out there and play in the postseason. Yeah, this ain't happening. I also will say I do enjoy Tick putting up his no, sorry, Mark Davis money. Right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mark, find a group and get a billion dollars. Come on, buddy, let's buy this. But I'll, I think at the end of the day, some of the names that have kind of been thrown out there, not a really big fan. Jeff Bezos is the biggest among them, especially if because Bezos has had some workplace issues in the past with his companies. If it's going to be not going to be Vanessa Bryant, which has been a really good idea, one of the listeners threw out there, I do like the idea of going down the path of diversity and whether it is going to be a minority majority owner or a woman. Regardless, I think that's the path you need to go down, especially, especially after the way you handled this with Sarver and the way that it looked with Adam Silver. Number one. Well, oh boy, a lot of heat on Derek Carr right now. I think it's absurd. Two games in, this has been. A team issue. I mean, this is like a thing, though. Yeah, of course. No, that's going to be the guy. You know, when you're on the the hot talk, hot shot, uh, talking head TV shows, you're you're not going after the freaking, you know, your right tackle. That's not going to be the story. (laughs) It's going to be the quarterback. And, you know, for Stephen A., he talks so much about Derek Carr being an elite quarterback uh, in the lead-up to the season that, hey, whether it's a bit or not, um, he was going in on Derek Carr earlier in the week. I wanted to see if you agree with any of this from Stephen A. Do you want to be pedestrian? Do you want to be average? Do you want to be somebody that's some psycho game manager or whatever? Or you want to step the hell up and understand who the hell is in your division? And you got to answer that call. You're the face of the franchise. You give all the right quotes. You say all the right things. All right, you represent the franchise off the field in a prestige fashion. We appreciate that. But when you go step the hell up and remind everybody you can ball too and lead this team to another level, you got weapons. What the hell are you doing? Handle your business. Handle your business. Love it. Uh, one of the Raiders writers tweeted out early in the week, he didn't think that Derek Carr would like Stephen A's tone in this. Oh, I mean, that's, that's how Stephen <laughs> he A was talk. He was joking. It was, oh, sar- okay. it was sarcastic, but kind of like, Derek's not going to like this. Yeah, Team Carr gets a little sensitive. Uh, if you're on Team Carr led by Derek Carr, I think you also have to understand this is what Stephen A does. And... Derek Carr's a competitive guy. He knows what's going on. He knows his level of play has to get better. But right. hilarious stuff from Stephen A. Yes. I, I, I love it. I like <laughs> What did he call his, his, his demeanor? I feel pristine. It's, yeah. a, it's absolutely incredible. No, I don't think there's really any denying it. I We talked about it a couple weeks ago. I didn't think Carr was very good in week one. I, I do think in week two it was a little bit more about play calling and game management, although there was a very interesting article. Uh, right after that game, that really put the onus on Derek Carr in terms of the final play call of the line of scrimmage. So we'll see who really receives the blame there. But I think at the end of the day, when you're 0-2, one of those is a blown 20-point lead, and the other is a game in which your quarterback turned it over multiple times and missed two or three touchdown passes, there's plenty of blame to go around. 
but you are in the AFC West. If you Derek Carr and you just trying to manage and get along and it's like, yo, let me make sure I don't make mistakes. Let me be relatively pedestrian. Let me complete 61% of my passes. Let me damn near throw as many interceptions as touchdown passes. Guess what? Y'all ain't going nowhere but where you are. Last damn place. You going to handle your business or not? Derek Carr, his completion percentage is 61.8%, so it's not 70 uh, he's committed six turnover-worthy plays, which is among the league leaders, so he's not really which, taking care which, of the ball. Which also sounded like contradiction in there when he said uh, right. stop being pedestrian and take some chances, but then he's making mistakes. So right. they, they, it's a little weird, the message that Stephen A's thrown out there, flipping out about his guy Derek Carr. It's also, his average depth of target, 8.2 yards, is actually just above his career average depth of target. So he's, you know, he's going down there. I mean, I don't think anybody's pointing these things out to Stephen A. Smith. Let's just say, you know what? Stephen A's my guy. I agree. I think he's right. <laughs> I think he's absolutely right. Derek Carr, stop being so pedestrian. But you're also a pristine and upstanding citizen. Uh, if there's any team that he should be able to uh, light up, the Titans are not good on defense, and they're not good on the back end. No, they're not. But I think they're better offensively than what they've shown, yeah. and they might be able to have some success here. And they're well coached. Like That's the other thing. I'm really – I am honestly surprised. Look, home field is not worth much. It's only worth like one, one and a half points. I am surprised that they are favored in Tennessee. More breakdown of the Raiders. We're going to preview the Nevada Air Force game. That's tomorrow coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Big 4 at 4 presented by Battleborn Injury Lures in Reno and Las Vegas, 766-1400. That's an anywhere number in Nevada, 766-1400. When it's not to a certain standard, Josh will just tell us, okay, let's go. You know, there hasn't been a day that's gone by where he misses like one detail, whether it's a step or eyes or physicality. And it's impressive. I told him thank you because like when he just pushes us and calls everything out, we can only get better or just, you know, I don't want to do it. And then you just, you don't end up lasting in the league because he's always trying to push me in one direction. And that's just to be better. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. C&C live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Reno. So let's go up north and get ready for Nevada at Air Force and get a feel for what's going on sports-wise in Reno. And Alex Margulies does a great job for Nevada Sportsnet. Alex, how you doing, buddy? How we doing, guys? We're good. You heard Derek Carr on the way back there. And, you know, I've never had a chance to ask you, and we want to talk about pack football here in a second, but... How big was that market on the Raiders, and where are they now in terms of buzz in Reno? Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much like the Raiders have taken a foothold in, in Reno for, for much, um, but I, I will tell you that I think that there are a lot of people that you know might just have like a little bit of state pride on it, and, and so I think there maybe has been a little bit of a needle move on the Raiders. Uh, I know we certainly care about the Raiders, and, and my colleague Shane Kelly was down at the game this last weekend report on their home opener. You know, we're very excited to be, you know, the Northern Nevada TV home of the Raiders. So we carry, you know, some of their preseason games and, and other programs and, and definitely, you know, uh, have a great partnership with them. And, and I think it's, I think it's awesome. I mean, to have what they've got, the stadium down there and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly excited to kind of see their growth. So the vibe here is a little disappointment because the Raiders start, you know, a lot of mistakes and the comeback last week was, was kind of crazy. Brutal, Flipping to yeah. what's going on with uh, with Nevada Pack football, man. By the way, wait, before we get to that, can, yeah. did, did you guys see the guys popping champagne in the middle of the game? 
I did not. Oh, yeah, oh that, the Cardinals there's, game? There's pictures. If you look on, on social media, there's people popping champagne. Oh, uh, no. Like halfway through that lead there. Yeah. Bad, oh, yeah. Bad deal. That's not good. Not good. Not good. Yeah. Not good. Uh, vibe right now with the pack after a, a pretty solid start and then two losses and especially what a weird game in Iowa. Yeah, I mean, the vibe is kind of, you know, look, I think this is exactly where people kind of thought Nevada was going to be this year. You know, I think there was a lot of feeling that this was going to be, a, you know, four, five, six-win team at best. Um, you know, the cover was bare, new coaching staff, all that. Certainly uh, the last two weeks have, have been rough, and, and this past game was was just brutal. I mean, you go out to Iowa, and, and you have a seven-hour game uh, that included four hours of lightning delays and a game that didn't end until 1.40 in the morning. Um, and, you know, between all of that, the game that it was actually played – you know, was very one-sided. I mean, the matter really just did not get anything going, uh, particularly offensively. They just did nothing. I mean, they did not have a single drive that went more than 23 yards. Uh, you know, they just could not string anything together. I, I thought their defense actually played pretty well, considering the circumstances. And apart from allowing a 55-yard run and a 40-yard run, if you remove, you know, those two, you're talking about a, a defense that gave up uh, about – you know, one and a half, two yards of carry, you know, to a Big Ten offensive line and, and Big Ten run game. So I think there's some positives to kind of take away. But overall, I mean, for everyone involved in that game last week, it was pretty brutal. What happened with the Nevada run game? Because they certainly tried. I think it was 36 carries for 69 yards. And I really like their, their two lead backs. What was the story? I, I mean, I think you're just facing one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, Iowa uh, is, is really tough. They're physical. They're well-coached. Iowa is a team that is completely built around defense and special teams. I mean, they uh, were kind of made fun of in terms of their complete inability to be able to score in their first two games. I mean, they lost or they they lost ten seven and they won seven to three. But still, I mean, that's two games where they combined to allow thirteen points, and then they followed that out with a shutout. So I think this is an elite defense, and I think Nevada. You know, trying to run the ball against an elite defense that uh, is very well organized and a Nevada offensive line that is completely uh, reshuffled. Um, you know, they've had injuries. They've got little to no experience across the board there. Um, so that, that's going to be an issue for them, you know, all year is the fact that they've got a very young, inexperienced offensive line and one that's already dealt with several injuries. And even to the preseason, they lost their best player, Aaron Frost, who was going to be more than likely not a first-team, you know, Mountain West selection, a guy that, uh, you know, probably could have tested NFL waters last year and decided to come back. So, you know, they're trying to find their way, but talking to their uh, offensive line coach, Jeff Nady, this week, I mean, he remains very optimistic. He likes the growth. He likes the mindset. And that's definitely, a, a, if you want to circle an area on the team that really has to get better as the season goes on, it's definitely going to be offensive line because if Nevada can't run the ball and they can't protect their quarterback, you know they're going to be in for a lot of a lot of tough weeks. What's going on at quarterback? We saw Nate Cox. Did he get in for like one play in that game against Iowa? Yeah, can't throw the ball. So yeah, what's up Nate there? was in for a couple plays only in run run uh, situations. Um, you know, the, the new Nevada coaching staff has been very tight to the vest about uh, injuries and what's going on, and, and so. No one really knew what they were doing uh, in Iowa. Um, they decided to start Shane Illingworth, 
and uh, Nate did come in for a couple of plays. We did learn after the game that uh, Nate was basically unavailable in a passing sense. Um, he basically did not practice on Wednesday, and, and we were told that he could not throw but did not give us an exact reason. Um, so a lot of kind of trying to figure out through the muck there, but basically Cox didn't practice, so he wasn't available, uh, and so that was left to Shane Illingworth. Uh, we are told Cox is available this week, and we did see him throw. So I would presume that Nate Cox is going to start this game against Air Force, and I think that he definitely gives them a better chance to win right now because of his ability to run the football. And I think there's just a different type of vibe mentality, you know, when he is running the offense. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit more kind of we're going to come right at you and uh, run the football. So. I think that will be a big boost for Nevada if Cox is healthy and back, and, and I think that could be a result of uh, maybe a little bit more offensive success than what we saw last week. Alex Margulies from Nevada Sportsnet with us as the uh, pack will head to Air Force game tomorrow night. There's still a lot of hope for the season because the Mountain West has been wacky, and it does seem very sure. wide open. And a year ago, yep. the Air Force-Nevada game was nuts. Triple overtime, 41-39, <laughs> but I – you know, I, this Air Force team is different. Sure, they can still run the ball, and but but they don't they don't play the kind of defense they did last year. And, and it's crazy to say that because the last last year's game was eighty point total. But Air Force's defense was awesome. Twenty four points is the spread here. Is that too big? I think it's too big. I I, I would not feel comfortable uh, putting money on Air Force covering that. I mean, I, I'm not so sure how close Nevada is going to be able to keep it. But twenty four seems like a big line um, for me. Because I do think Nevada has a run defense that can do a decent job. To me, there's so much focus on you got to stop the run, you got to stop the triple option, and that's absolutely the case. I mean, Nevada has to do a good job there, and everyone knows what's coming. But my biggest key in this game is Nevada's ability to be able to get first downs. They've had too many stretches this year where they just go three and out, back-to-back-to-back drives. If Nevada's offense leaves Nevada's defense out to dry like that in this game, it's going to be a long night. And it's going to be tough for that defense to stop the triple option if Nevada's offense is having very quick, short drives. So Nevada has got to be able to sustain, you know, some six, seven, eight, nine, ten minute drives and keep their defense off the field and give them an opportunity to try and stop which what is a very difficult task of trying to stop a triple option offense. Well, a close game or a win will do a lot for the program. And the reason I mention that is because there's a bye week next week for Nevada. And I know there's been some attendance issues. I don't think there will be. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Jay Norvell and Colorado State come in for a night tilt on October 7th. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, you you would expect there would be a a very full stadium for that one. I think there's a lot of people that want to come out and see uh, Nevada play Colorado State. I think uh, many people in the community uh, are pretty sour um, about you know the way things were left with Coach Norvell. Um, so I don't think he's going to get a very uh, friendly welcome back to, to Mackey Stadium, deserved or not. You know, I, I guess that remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, no, I think it definitely shapes up for a couple good weeks for Nevada potentially. I mean, if you're looking at where they could get some wins. The rest of the season, I think you'd look at Colorado State coming here and then the following week going and playing at Hawaii. I think those are their two most winnable games based on what other teams have done in their non-conference or just kind of early play into the conference schedule. But 
certainly if they go on the, the road and, and keep it closer or somehow go out and beat Air Force on the road, that could change the trajectory of their entire season because now all of a sudden you're looking at you know, a team that could compete uh, in a very weak uh, division where there really is not a favorite. And, um, you know, I think this, this year's Mountain West is about as wide open uh, as we've seen it in, in a very long time. Let's stick with this. For you, what's the biggest surprise of what's gone down so far in the Mountain West Conference? You know, it's probably um, biggest surprise. I, I would say Wyoming beating Air Force. Like, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And again, that was a big spread, like a twenty-one point deal. So, I don't think anyone saw that one w- was going to come. I think San Diego State has been pretty disappointing. Um, you know, I think Fresno State looked like they were going to be really good this year, and maybe they would do better in some of their games. But you know, they've had a pretty tough slate. I mean, they they played. USC, they played Oregon State, so it's not like their losses are to bad teams. Um, they've obviously got some injury trouble now with, with Jake Hayner uh, going down to an ankle injury, and, and fortunately it wasn't worse than, than what it looked like at uh, the time when he left the game. Um, Boise State, I think, has been okay. So I, I think it's there really is not like a team in the Mountain West that stands out that's like, yeah, there's one or two really good teams. Um, I think it's still going to be, you know, Fresno State, Boise State, San Diego State. I think those are the teams we're going to see at the end, but who knows? I mean, maybe we do see a team like Wyoming actually play well, and that was the surprise last year. Who thought Utah State was going to go and and win a Mountain West championship? Nobody. So maybe we're in for another surprise this year, and is it UNLV? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Alex, we appreciate it. You're the man. We'll see you. I think this is actually the best thing that could happen for the Cleveland Browns. Playing on Thursday night. Because you, you know, as a player, when you lose a game like that, it weighs on your sits. It's, it, it just sits on you. Mm. So the opportunity, that, the fact that you have an opportunity to rectify the situation really quickly, I think it's a, it's an advantage for the Cleveland Browns in this situation. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Super intriguing game tonight. Thursday night football is on the way. Pick your favorite. Watering hole in uh, Vegas or Reno. We're in Sin City, Silver 7, 77-cent beers here for Thursday Night Football. John Von Tobel says, is it? Yeah, because of the storylines. Based on last week, the Browns don't have a lot of leeway unless you think the division's going to suck and a 9-1 team is going to win the division. But that you, you can't lose that game against the Jets the way you lose it. No, you can't, but that was last week. Why does that matter for this week? It's a loss on the docket. Like, how many losses can they afford before Deshaun Watson comes back? I mean, you can't afford many, right? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get out of the gates. I don't I don't believe they're gonna get out of the gates. You know, three and eight. But the other thing, Jacoby Brissett's actually been okay, and he was he stinks. He was more no, but the point is, he was more than solid in that game. So now, any Jacoby Brissett performance that is not abysmal, you're like, we got to win that game. Two touchdowns, three turnover-worthy plays. He's thrown an interception. He's barely averaging six yards per attempt. He has not been good. Are you concerned about the defensive execution or, more importantly, defensive game planning when you're letting the Jets go up and down the field in the final minutes? That is the surprising part because the strength of Cleveland is supposed to be their defense. Outside of, obviously, their very good ground game, their defense is really good. It's supposed to be very good. They have... I'd say, okay, I'll say elite uh, players on two levels, which is their secondary and their defensive line, and some really good players along the defensive line and in the linebacking core. 
I thought they were going to be a lot better. And they looked really, really good in week one. Ultimately, let the Carolina Panthers kind of get back in that, but they won that game. But that's, I think that's the troubling sign. If you want to extend these storylines, think about that. In the first game against Carolina, you're up by double digits. You blow it. You need a late drive to win that game. And then you blow your other double-digit lead to New York, except this time you don't get it back because Jacoby Brissett on the – it wasn't the final gas. There's like 20 seconds left. But the desperate drive throws an interception. You don't even get into field goal range. That's, I think, part of the storyline here. If they are able to build a lead again today – is that defense going to be able to hold it? For the Steelers, what is T.J. Watt worth after what you saw last week? I think the Steelers had seven sacks in yep. week one. Last week they had zero. Right. Well, and actually they just throw it out. I do, this is the kind of the thing I like about this Amazon broadcast is they are doing a little bit more with some of the numbers and like interesting ways to look at those numbers. So, for example, uh, they just threw up a graphic. The, the percentage of four-man rushes in week one, right? Because you have T.J. Watt. Like, why would you have to send any blitzes? Uh, it was about 80%, and they got seven sacks. Last week, that dropped. <laughs> that dropped to about 65, I think, is the number they put up there, and they got no sacks. They were blitzing more, and they got very little pressure. That's a big deal. And especially against this year, your opportunity to rush the passer is going to be few and far between because the Browns want to run the ball. But you're going to have to take advantage of the times that Jacoby Brissett, who holds on to the ball too long and himself is kind of a statue, you kind of go after them, and if you can't generate pressure, that's obviously a very big problem, especially if you're blitzing more guys. Is Amazon, with their broadcast, using more numbers because of Ryan Fitzpatrick? You know, he's really smart, and no. he, he went to school in the Ivy League. No. Uh, what they're doing is they're doing that whole Amazon thing where they're like, we're, you know, tech, we're smart. Let's throw out analytics and numbers. <laughs> so it feels like a different type, sort of vibe. And, I mean, I will say that is a good way to differentiate yourself outside of being a stream. When you're looking at it from that perspective, yeah. hey, you know what? We're going to give you a way to look at the game that is different from any of the other broadcasts that you're going to watch this year. I like it. I like it a lot, too. I didn't love the postgame show when I watched last week. It was kind of a, a weird mix. Uh, last 20 seconds here, because well, we'll get to more of the game with Brad Powers in about five minutes. Uh, Pickens. Claypool, can we actually get the ball to them? Maybe stretch the field a little bit with Trubisky? Yeah, Come on, Mitch. Yeah, Mitch has not been great, and vast majority of his completions have been within nine yards. Average depth of target on those, four yards downfield. Air it out, Mitch. I trusted in you. That's why I picked you guys, the Steelers, to win the AFC North. Get it together. It's Cofield and Company with the Battleborn Sports Hour presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 766-1400. Company's eye on sports betting with Brad Powers. Let's do it. Let's get a take. Gambling wise on Thursday night football in a couple minutes. College football. Brad Powers at Brad Powers seven. He's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. I saw him tweet out earlier today the uh, Mike Gundy explosion about I'm forty. That's good stuff. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm fifty two. So, but I don't scream about it because I get all mad. So. Uh, all right, let's get into, before we get to the games, folks, follow Brad on Twitter because he put something out this week with numbers of the most underperforming and possibly overachieving based on, you know, differentials and covering the spread. There are some teams that are just horrific against the spread this year. Well, yeah, I mean, it starts with the, the team that fired a coach and that being the Nebraska Cornhuskers haven't covered a game so far this season, so... I mean, they're failing to meet expectations, that being the point spread by 18 points per game. Utah State, UNLV's opponent uh, here th this week has failed to cover all three of their games by 20 points per game. And then 
thing in the Mountain West. I mean, Colorado State's also vastly underperformed. I mean, they're failing to cover right around 19 points per game. And then Kansas is killing it. They're covering, and they're, what, plus 23 on the margin? Yeah, and I mean, it even goes back to last year. I mean, you go back to the Texas upset, and, and they continued even a couple of games after the Texas upset last year. Six straight games, six straight covers for Kansas by about an average of 21 points per game. This year, 23 points per game. Another team that, you know, started getting bet into their first week. They played an FCS opponent. I noticed it because it was, you know, substantial difference between my power rating with South Alabama. And they have really, you know, they made some money for a lot of sharp people. They're covering right around three touchdowns per game. So keep an eye on that team. They almost beat UCLA last week. What are we doing tonight? It's up in just a little bit with uh, the Illinois game. Uh, I didn't do anything. I made it 19.4 exactly as far as my power rating, and I made the total 43. You know me. I don't, I'm don't. i not afraid to bet the board when it comes to even FCS. I did not bet this game tonight. Okay. Let's look ahead. We're on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas now in the 4 o'clock hour. I think Air Force is a little big, minus 24 against Nevada, but am I overreacting to uh, Air Force struggling with Wyoming? I think 24 is about right. I didn't another one where I didn't get involved yet. Uh, I made it right around 24. I mean, I was Mr. Air Force for, for a while. <laughs> I mean, all summer it's one of my biggest season win total bets. I mean that that, that shook me a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not afraid to admit last week losing outright as a 16 and a half point favorite. I mean Nevada's really bad. Uh, <laughs> maybe they can get a few stops, but I doubt it. So. I mean, if, if you had to force bet this one, I, I'm I'm actually going to lay it with force. You mentioned being Mister something. Uh, you know who's not Mister Boise? John Von Tobel sitting next to me. Hank Bachmeyer stinks. Uh, Boise is 16 at UTEP tomorrow night. Yeah, it seems a little rich. If I had to bet the the side, I'd probably maybe UTEP. But I did get involved early this week, circa opener. I bet under 49 and a half. I'm feeling pretty good about that one because why? I'd still lean under at 45 and a half. One of my favorite videos of the week as we move on to uh, Saturday games was Tommy Reese just screaming at his quarterback with a lot of F-bombs. So, listen, they got a win against Cal last week. Uh, this number has you know, moved all over the place. So what do you think of Carolina and Notre Dame? I'm part of the North Carolina money. I, I took them as a dog. I was stunned that they opened uh, You know, some places uh, with North Carolina as an underdog. They come off a bye. Hopefully they can fix one thing on defense out of a hundred things, but uh, I just don't think Notre Dame can keep up offensively. I mean, obviously they're going to have to score points to keep pace with North Carolina, and the reality is Notre Dame can't, you know, go to the you know, the waiver wire and get a new quarterback and, and get some wide receivers. I mean, that's going to have to be a couple of recruiting classes down the line. I, I like North Carolina, and I like the over here. Texas A&M and Arkansas, Brad, I have not seen one person look at Texas A&M in any way, shape, or form in this matchup. Uh, what are you looking at here? And We all remember what happened last year between these two. On the same field, by the way. Yeah, yeah I, I'm with all that line of thinking. I will say one of the sharpest guys I know in college football makes a lot, and not a lot of people do, but he's on the A&M side. Uh, I'm on. I, I would lean Arkansas here. I just think the best unit on the field is the Arkansas offense. I think they're better coached. He's been blindly betting Sam Pittman since he took over at Arkansas. He's been about as profitable as any college coach in the country. Uh, I get it that people are down after they, you know, were, were 
an almost outright upset against Missouri State. I bet Missouri State. I thought that would be a flat spot for Arkansas last week, so I wasn't that stunned. So Arkansas, for me, they win the game outright. I have taken each of the last two weeks my shot at USC. I feel like I have been right each time, but the result has not been the case. Uh, they get Oregon now. I feel like this is a decent matchup for Oregon against that defense. Am I barking up the wrong tree? This is down to five and a half now. Oregon yeah, State. Oregon State, the Beavers uh, in Corvallis. I like Oregon State. I mean, I get it. USC's exceeded expectations so far, particularly on offense. They're 3-0 against the number. Also 3-0 against the number of Oregon State, covering all three by 14 points per game. And I'm not sure that the market reacted appropriately to what they did against an FCS opponent last week. They beat Montana State by 40. Montana State's a top-five FCS team, so that was very impressive by Oregon State. Yeah, I, I don't think USC can, can continue to live off the turnovers. They're number one in the country in turnover margin. Uh, I, I, Oregon State's buttoned up. They, they don't turn it over. I say that, and they'll probably have six, but what, whatever. I like Oregon State not only against the spread, but I like them outright against the Trojans. Uh, Minnesota loses Chris Ottman-Bell, their leading receiver from last year, to an injury. Uh, market doesn't like Michigan State, though, coming off that loss to Washington. This number's up to three with a total of 51. Yeah, they don't, but, man, Minnesota's played three tomato cans, so I, I, I'm not buying the three. So uh, at three, I'm taking Michigan State, the home underdog. To me, I get it. They struggled with Washington, but kudos for them. They could have rolled over and died there. I mean, they're, they're playing completely on the left coast. Uh, they, they got destroyed early, but they kept fighting back. I, I saw something there out of Michigan State. I, I don't know. Look, Minnesota's won and covered every game. They, they look pretty good, but uh, I'll take three points with Sparty. By the way, I'll selfishly admit that uh, I bet Oregon State and Michigan State, and that's why I'm asking about these games. I want to know if I'm right or not. Uh, all right, let's go to another matchup. Uh, I did not have anything here, but I'm fascinated. Is it 16 out of 17 or 17 out of 18 for Florida against Tennessee, who is a 10.5-point favorite at home with a total of 62.5? Yeah, 16 out of 17, and Tennessee going back you know, as long, as far as back as at least the records that I've seen publicly. Yeah has never been more than a touchdown favorite against tennis, uh, against Florida. I mean, we're talking 45 years. They never laid more than a touchdown, and here they are laying 10.5 points. Uh, because of that, I lean Florida, but i got to be honest, guys. I mean, Anthony Richardson hasn't thrown a touchdown pass yet. I, do you really expect them to keep pace with that high-powered Tennessee offense? I'm not sure that's going to be the case. I might have a negative that there. 349-350. I think the opener here for Cincinnati was 12, if I'm not mistaken. We're up to 16.5, and, and the total's up to 57. What's behind the moves? I think it was 11. Somebody beat yeah. me. I laid 13. Uh, and I also bet the over. Uh, number one, Indiana's a fraud at 3-0. and I mean, big-time fraud. Shouldn't have won the Illinois game. Trailed at halftime to Idaho. And I think post-game win expectancy last week against Western Kentucky was 11%. Somehow they won the game in overtime. So that's why you've seen all that money come in on Cincinnati. I agree with it. I think it's pricey now, but my my goodness, uh, I'm pretty happy with that Cincy ticket right now. BradPowerSports.com, at BradPower7 on Twitter. College football breakdown. We'll get a TNF pick here in just a couple minutes. Do you want a piece of Wake Forest plus 7.5 against Clemson? No, I don't. Uh, I'm on the Clemson train here. Uh, I think Clemson is one of my favorite. I don't think. I know Clemson is one of my favorite plays of the week. And I mean, serious history here. Keep in mind, both coaches have been there a while. I mean, Clemson's won 13 straight. Last 10 have been by 14 points or more. I think they're a bad matchup for Wake Forest. Heck, I mean, last year Clemson couldn't, uh, you know, score on anybody. But 
Wake Forest. They put up 48 uh, on Wake. And then on the other side of the ball, Wake runs that slow mesh offense. It's kind of like a delayed RPO where they, they read the line, they read the line, they read the line. Well, it's tough when the defensive line is blowing up your offensive line on every single play. And that that is what I expect to be the case on Saturday. It will be a 50-50 crowd. Uh, I think Clemson blows out Wake Forest. Wow. Brad Powers with us. Near three touchdowns. 19, Ohio State over Wisconsin. Yeah, I laid it with the Buckeyes early in the week. I couldn't believe they opened uh, 16. Well, I laid that. would still lay it. I made the line 21. Don't expect – look, Wisconsin's offensive metrics look improved. That's not saying much compared to, you know, last year. But, I mean, it was the same old Wisconsin against Washington State. Inefficiency in the green zone, red zone led to that outright upset. And I think the light bulb finally came on for the Buckeyes' offense last week. Look, I know it's just Toledo. It's a MAC team. That's the Mac's best defense, and they have legitimate guys on that front seven. And, I mean, to put 77 points on the board was as impressive as an offensive performance I've seen in college football this year. So, number one offense against Wisconsin. I know their defense is okay, but I just don't expect that Wisconsin offense to be able to keep pace. Give me the Buckeyes. Am I a clown? You just mentioned, well, you can say yes, but I just mentioned, or you just mentioned Toledo. I bet San Diego State plus three yesterday. I I think you're okay there. I... I can't get the three with Toledo. I mean, I get it. San Diego State's, you know, been a very <laughs> hasn't the, the look hasn't been good so far to, to no. say the least. But my goodness, at home catching three, I think. I mean, preseason San Diego State would have been favored by three. Mm-hmm. High powered passing offensive Rutgers. That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> Thirty four is the total against Iowa. Side is seven and a half. The Hawkeyes favored. Yeah, I mean, lowest total in college football in at least seven years. We'll see where it ends up closing. We could be going back even further if it stays at 34 or even drops. We even saw a 33-and-a-half at one book uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm going to bet the over. I'm going to be different and go over 34. I mean, a lot needs to happen right for you to, to cash that ticket. And if that, uh, and I'll take the extra half point, too. Uh, I'll take, even though somebody looks like they just bet into Iowa at Circa, about the nine. So let's see how many points we can get with Rutgers. I, I want the Scarlet Knights. Oh, UNLV is favored on the road for the first time in six years. They're three at Utah State. Yeah, give me three with Utah State. I, I just got done saying at the top of this uh, segment that, you know, Utah State's 0-3 against the number, failing to cover by 20 points per game. UNLV is 3-0 against the number, covering by two touchdowns per game. So, I mean, that's why you got UNLV favored here. But mm-hmm. – Utah State probably, you know, had a chance to maybe get a quick reset off the bye at home catching three, slight lean towards the Aggies. You doing anything for Steelers-Browns tonight? I bet the under a uh, couple times this week. Even bet it again today, 38-and-a-half that was available at South Point. So really bad weather. I know it's a low total, but uh, under 38 uh, for me. Also player props, you know, coinciding with the under. I mean, expect a lot of run game from Cleveland. I, I like uh, Chubb over rushing yards and Trubisky under completions. All right. That's awesome. You read my mind. Those were two of the props I was going to mention once you were gone. Brad, you're great. Good luck this weekend. Thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care, guys. There he is, Brad Powers, guru on college football, great better across the board. Yeah, uh, Trubisky completions over under 19.5. He went under Chubb rushing yards 88.5. Under. Open 72 and a half. <laughs> That'd be a nice middle. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a massive move. So I'll go under just because of the way it's moved. You're really missing out on it. Boy, oh, boy. One of the college games I want to hit 
I think Arizona Dan- just oh. Arizona State just dumps out against so? Utah. It's a ridiculously large number on the road. Oh, if they get off to a bad start, do you think there's going to be a whole bunch of fight after what the hell's going on with Herm, Herm Edwards gone? I mean, if the if the reports are true that they were sending secrets, they better be fired up. Let's go. You're sending secrets off to get him fired. He's gone. The Utes might have the secrets. They can't change right. up what the hell's going on. Right. Silver 7's great spot for Thursday night football. 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra. Enjoy. Thursday night football for John and Mateo and Ari. Excellent job on the show today. It's Cofield and Company with the Battleborn Sports Hour presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 766-1400.